This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. A nine-year-old girl was brutally murdered almost 60 years ago, but it was the tenacity and brilliant mind of a high school boy that enabled her case to finally be solved. This is Apple for the Teacher, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Anna Thomas. Today's episode is called Boy Genius. A high school boy solved a murder. How did he do it? Just a note before starting. Apple for the Teacher does not name perpetrators out of respect to the victims. For this story, we travel back almost 60 years ago to Pennsylvania in the US. A nine-year-old girl named Maurice Chivarella was in the third grade at St. Joseph's Parochial School. Each day she would walk to school with her brother and sister. But on the day of March 18, 1964, she wanted to get to school early because she wanted to give a gift to her teacher, who was a nun at her school. On that day, the school was celebrating Feast Day to commemorate the death of St. Cyril of Jerusalem. Maurice had canned pears and beets to give to her teacher and wanted to go early to drop off the gifts and still make it in time to attend morning mass. So she headed off to school by herself, but Maurice never made it to school. Later that same day, a man was teaching his teenage nephew how to drive near an abandoned coal mine waste tip, which was being used as a garbage dump. And he saw something which looked like a large doll lying on top of some refuse. But it wasn't a doll. It was the lifeless body of Maurice. Her hands and ankles had been tied together with the shoelaces from her own shoes. She had been sexually assaulted and strangled to death. In the early days of the investigation, the police had a number of persons of interest, including a priest who had been suspected of another murder, and another man who was known to be an exhibitionist in the local area, but he took his own life after being asked to undertake a polygraph test. Year after year went by, but Maurice's murder remained a cold case. That was until just this year, 2022, when the identity of her murderer was finally discovered. It had taken a staggering 57 years, but it was how the case was solved, which is a fascinating story in itself. The person who was instrumental in cracking the case was not the person that you would expect. He wasn't an experienced law enforcement officer or a detective, but a 21-year-old college student. So let's find out about this remarkable young man. As a child, Eric Schubert suffered from asthma and this made him susceptible to pneumonia. He missed some of his schooling, having to stay at home until he got better. Being a young boy and stuck at home left him bored and in need of something to keep himself busy. And when he was in fourth grade, he became interested in genealogy. He recalls, 
My mother saw an ancestry commercial or something like that, so she just suggested maybe I pass some of the time, do something interesting. So he began looking on the Ancestry.com website, and it wasn't long before he developed a keen interest in genealogy. He had always been interested in history, evident by the fact that he had memorised all of the US presidents and their terms of office in chronological order. As soon as I figured out that genealogy was history, I was hooked. He managed to map his own family tree, finding 15,000 people and tracing his mum's side back to the Middle Ages to around the year 800. So with that task accomplished, he was then keen to help others to do the same. I was like, you know what? I wonder if there is any local interest for me to help, you know, my neighbours and those types of people out with their family tree. I thought it was a great idea, but I didn't think that there would be much interest. Boy, was I wrong. And it turns out that Eric totally underestimated the number of people who would eventually reach out to him, so much so that at the age of 15, he had wanted to find a part-time job while in high school but he had limited options living in a small town and didn't like the prospect of working at McDonald's or on a farm. Eric really wanted to make something for himself. He wanted a job that he was genuinely interested in. And that's when he thought he could make some money by helping other people track down their family trees. So there he was as a high school student running his own business from tracking people's ancestry. He called his company ES Genealogy, the initials of his name, Eric Schubert. And in the years that followed, he managed to help thousands of clients. His plan was then to go to college, but to also continue his business. So just how did he go about tracking down people's family history? He said he found it interesting that most people didn't know much about their family past their grandparents but also that some people didn't even know their grandparents' names. So he started by looking at the limited information that people gave him and then searched through basic records, such as census records, birth and death certificates, military and immigration records. And the most difficult families to track down were those from Eastern Europe, Italy and Ireland, as the records were just hard to access. And sometimes people also had unrealistic expectations. People expect me to be able to trace their ancestors to the 1400s in Italy. But no, that's not going to happen. Even going to great-grandparents in Italy, you might not be able to do that. But people think you can. A lot of it depends on circumstances. But he said that it was people of Asian descent that were the most difficult to track down. And most of the time, he would literally find nothing. But he did say that having a general knowledge of history was definitely very helpful. It's all about inferences and context clues. For example, 1918. You have a lot of clients who wonder why their ancestors drop off the map in 1918. You have to have a basic understanding of world events and think, okay, what happened in 1918? The Spanish flu was 1918. Do you know how many people were dying from the Spanish flu 
and not even getting death certificates. Their deaths weren't even reported. It's a lot of context clues like that. And while he has helped countless people to find family members, his work can also be heartbreaking. I had to tell a woman I was working on an adoption case for that her biological father killed her biological mother and then shot himself. I have to sometimes tell people that their birth parents don't want to be contacted. But when they end well, they're the most rewarding. I'm always happy for everyone. Sometimes it does hit me that I just helped dozens of people connect with their family members. It's very humbling for me. People I've helped will check in with me saying, oh, I went to the Phillies game with my brother, or I went to the art museum with my mum. It's just fun for me to know that I'm helping people out. Through his genealogy work, it didn't take long for Eric to come to the attention of the media, and that's when his interest in ancestry was to take him on a very surprising course. It was in his final year of high school when he received an email from a police detective asking if he could help solve a cold case. He was sceptical at first. I wasn't sure if I should do it. Is this a murder? Is someone going to come after me? Like I was barely 18. I was very nervous. But I thought to myself, you know what? This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. How about I become the youngest person at age 18 to solve a cold case through genetic genealogy? So he decided to put his fears behind him and responded to the email. What followed saw Eric helping people on various cases by using his genealogy skills. But it was then that Eric came across a particular case that he read about in the press, the brutal murder of little Maurice Chivarella. I just saw some press on it that was a few years old and I was reading up on it and, you know, I was just reading how heinous and how terrible of a crime it was. So it just really struck me and I knew that if I could, I really wanted to help. I wonder if I send them a random email if they'll let me work on the case. Because it's so old, what other avenues did they have? He recalls here the content of that email. Just reaching out and saying, hey, I think I know what I'm doing. If I'm not stepping on any toes, I'd be happy to help. I didn't think that would work, but it did. And I'm very thankful because I knew that I could at least potentially get this case a little closer to being solved. Now, you can probably imagine how the police may have reacted when an 18-year-old kid said he wanted to help solve a murder. But despite their reservations, they met up with him in a coffee shop, as the chief investigator recalled. We went into that meeting and Mr Schubert came prepared like it was a job interview. He had pretty much a portfolio for us. We offered to buy him a coffee and he said, oh, I don't drink coffee, I'll take an apple juice. And we're like, this kid's going to drink apple juice here and he wants to help us solve a homicide? But after listening to Eric, he said, we walked away thinking the kid was on point. He re-energised a lot of people and gave us new hope. And then it was full speed ahead. He's calling my phone here in the office. And then later on, it was text messages and cell phone calls. But I would say emails multiple times a day. Once we brought him on board, he didn't stop. 
Prior to Eric coming on board, the police had uploaded DNA from Marisa's crime scene into the CODIS database in 2007, but no matches had been found with anyone already in the database. Then in 2019, police uploaded the DNA sample into a genealogy website, which produced hundreds of possible people, but ultimately led to a person who was the sixth cousin to the suspect. From there, Eric then searched for possible relatives and sent them to the police to track down. The detective recalled, He was good to give us information and a new route to go down every day. He was giving me names and saying, Hey, can you go ahead and look into seeing what you can find out about this person or that person? How he came up with the names that he came up with, I have no idea. The voodoo that Eric Schubert does is amazing. But it also helped that everyone we reached out to were willing to cooperate when asked to provide DNA samples. Nobody ever went ahead and said, I'm not helping you. Don't ever call me again. Everybody was willing to help. And after two years of searching, Eric's tenacity finally paid off. This remarkable young man managed to find Maurice's murderer, although he said it had been the toughest case that he had worked on. The perpetrator turned out to be a man who had lived just blocks away from Maurice. He had been 23 years old at the time, and although everyone involved in Maurice's case over the 57 years were absolutely delighted, it turned out to be bittersweet as it was found that the man had died at the age of 38 from a suspected heart attack. And this is how he narrowed in on the perpetrator. Eric had managed to build 50 complete family trees before finally finding a man who had immigrated from Italy to the area where Maurice lived in 1904. And that man turned out to be the killer's grandfather. Eric then looked for other family who had lived in the area, which led him to the killer and his brother. But unfortunately, both were dead. But then they were able to track down the brother's wife, who just happened to still have her husband's old hairbrush. A DNA test of the brush then ruled out the man, only leaving the killer himself. I think the odds of the DNA not being his were one in something septillion. So that's 24 zeros. So who was this man? Eric explains here. It was discovered that he had never married or had children, which is why we had to have him exhumed to make sure we had a perfect DNA match, being that we couldn't get a test from a child or anything like that. So in the end, we did have to exhume him. He was a bartender. He lived in Hazelton his entire life. He had some criminal infractions after this case and throughout his life. He was arrested 10 years after Maurice's death in 1974 for a sexual assault that I believe he pled guilty to aggravated assault and only got a year probation. So he had a criminal record and he had a history with this. But you know, there's not much on him. He sort of dropped dead when he was 38 years old 
at the bar where he was working. And here he describes the importance of DNA and genetic genealogy. I mean, being that he died in 1980, I think genetic genealogy was the only way that we were going to find him. It's not like his DNA would have been uploaded. You know, if he was arrested for something nowadays, since he's been deceased so long, genetic genealogy is such a tool that's solving so many cases. There's really only two public databases that police can use, and private sites like Ancestry and 23andMe, law enforcement can't use. So I think these databases and solving crimes this way are really at the forefront of what's going to come in the world of investigations. It's an incredible tool that can solve crimes like this one, where an answer hasn't been had for almost 58 years. So after having worked on the case for two years, Eric got to know Marisa's family very well. It was really an honour, the honour of a lifetime to know Marisa's family and to forge this relationship with them. I mean, working on this case over the last two years, it's hard not to get attached and not get close. But I had many great conversations with her siblings, and I really wanted to make it a point that they knew how hard. This team, with the state police working to solve Maurice's case, they are an honour to know, and it really was a pleasure to be on the team that could give them this answer that they've been looking for for almost 60 years. What he did to her is irreversible, but I think there's some closure in there knowing that he's no longer alive and out there doing this to other girls. So it's not full closure because, of course, he's long gone and Maurice can't be brought back from the horrible things that he did to her. And now I'd like for you to listen to the press conference the police held to announce that Maurice's cold case had finally been solved. First, you will hear from the lead investigator, then Eric himself, followed by Maurice's sister. Today is a very important day for the Pennsylvania State Police. Um, it's, uh, it's my impression that this is the fourth oldest case, cold case, to be solved in the country utilizing genetic genealogy and that's the tool that Mr. Schubert helped to provide to us. This was a violent and a, and a heinous crime that was committed against a small child and uh, I'm going to get a, a motion. Uh, we're always told not to get attached to a case, but uh, you can't help it. And it's a vivid memory for everybody who lived through this, and it's a, a vivid memory for everybody who grew up in this area. You were told by a grandparent, a parent, an aunt, an uncle, this is Maurice's story. And what happened to her ushered in a change in this community. Whether you like it or not, the way you lived changed after March 18th of 1964 in Hazleton. 
And lastly, this has been a day that this family has been waiting for for nearly 58 years. And as the lieutenant said, even though we couldn't bring charges against Mr. Fort, I, I hope that this brings some type of closure for your family. I really do. I just want to say that this case has not only displayed the tenacity of this department, but it also has shown the great work that's being accomplished by law enforcement daily. Um, even though it took nearly 58 years for this case to be solved, I think that this should instill in the families of victims across the, the state and across the country a sense of hope. And that hope is that no matter how long it may take, we as law enforcement will never give up in trying to find the perpetrators of these heinous crimes that go on. So, and uh, God willing, in, in life or in death, you will be found. So, uh, I'll be done now. Thank you. Mr. Schubert provided a service that we would have never expected. We are proud to have him here, and I'm proud to introduce him to come up and speak next. Mr. Eric Schubert. Thank you, Trooper Petrosky, for the very, very kind words. Um, as was said, my name is Eric Schubert of ES Genealogy. Uh, I was the independent consultant brought on through the district attorney's office uh, to conduct a genealogy investigation into this case. Um, it really was a multifaceted investigation that left absolutely no stone unturned. Um, at the beginning, as was mentioned, the highest DNA match to Maurice's assailant uh, in public <coughs> DNA databases was uh, about 53 centimorgans. Uh, and a centimorgan is, uh, think of it like a, a unit of measurement for a genetic linkage. Um, you share a set amount of centimorgans with everyone in your family. Um, and 53 is very, very low, as was mentioned. Uh, but that was where we started. Uh, from there, I conducted traditional family tree research using census records, uh, military records, newspaper records, and more. Um, so we were really zeroing in on families, uh, locations, links, uh, and it took a year, but we were able to go from 53 centimorgans to almost 200, which now is really something that I can work with. Um, it was the strongest and most important lead that we had to date. Um, I'll never forget when Corporal Barron was telling me that we had just gotten that match, uh, because in that moment, I knew that we were going to find the assailant. Um, we quickly worked our way up from that match uh, to a match that in the end was over a thousand centimorgans. Uh, it was about 1,200. Um, that's something that you would share with a person who's a half uncle, a cousin, that sort of thing. Um, so to go from 53 to 179 to 1,200 took two years. Um, and at the end of the day, those matches allowed me to identify the assailant uh, for the state police. So that is a bit of background on uh, the specifics on how this team did it. Um, and on a personal note, I really would like to say that um, the investigation that went into all of this work was probably the hardest uh, genealogy task that I've ever faced in over 10 years, as long as I've been doing genealogy. Uh, I would dare to say that this was probably the hardest thing that I've ever done in my entire life. And it means so much to me that I was able to be on the team that could provide answers for the Chevrella family um, and to, of course, help out the state police to close this uh, investigation. 
Um, I was 18 years old when I started working on this case. Uh, now I'm almost 21, so this is something that um, I've been working on this for a very long time, to say the least. Um, so it's certainly something that I know is going to stick with me. Um, because I spent so much time on it, I've been working on it practically uh, my entire undergraduate career so far in college. Um, so the people on this team mean a lot to me. They put so much into it. Um, we worked as a team, and we, in the end, found the answers uh, that everyone was looking for. Um, and like I said, today I especially uh, want to say that my thoughts are with the Chivarellas, uh, especially Maurice's great siblings who I've gotten to know very well over the past two years. Um, they've waited so long to have this answer. I, of course, can't put myself in their shoes, um, but I know how hard this is. Um, and I really want to say that I appreciate all their kind words and support, um, and it's been great getting to know them. Um, their words always mean a lot, um, and it was really important to me that they know how hard this team was working over these past two years. Um, it really is a big honor to have assisted, and yes, thank you so much. We have so many precious memories of Maurice. At the same time, our family will always feel the emptiness and the sorrow of her absence. Consequently, we will continue mm -hmm. to ask ourselves, what would have been, what could have been? So how does our family further embrace a sense of closure for the harm done to Maurice? Our parents' sentiments were expressed a long time ago. They never sought punishment or revenge, but did want justice. Thanks to the Pennsylvania State Police, our family now knows the identity of Maurice's murderer. Thanks to the Pennsylvania State Police, justice has been served today. As Maurice's siblings, we will keep in mind two biblical teachings. The first comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 19, which reads, Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And the second reading from Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, related to the sin of harming a child. But anyone who is an obstacle to bring down one of these little ones who have faith will be better thrown into the sea with the great millstone around his neck. So that's what our family will continue to do. Thank you all very much. It was really wonderful to see four of Maurice's siblings at that press conference, almost 60 years after they lost her, although very sad that their parents didn't live long enough to see their daughter's murder finally solved. Maurice's brother Ron vividly remembers the day they found Maurice, back in 1964. The house was in chaos, people screaming, crying, rolling around, literally on the floor, some of the aunts, because of the horror of it all. My mother was totally in shock. The family doctor was there administering some type of sedative to her. My father was like a zombie. It was horrible, even just to try and describe. For Eric's parents and those that know him, what he had managed to achieve didn't come as much of a surprise. 
they remembered him having a passion for memorising licence plates and also doing puzzles, but the history-based ones were his favourites. To my parents, this was not a surprise, because it was right up my alley, memorisation and history and puzzles, which is, at the end of the day, how I see genealogy a lot of the time. I like to call myself a mad scientist. I used to love Criminal Minds and all those shows. Now I can't watch anything true crime. I can't even listen to podcasts because it's like, that's my life. As well as Marisa's murder, he has also solved two other cases and is still working on others. It serves to me as another reminder of how service is so important and how service should be an important part of everyday life. I have gotten to know so many people and families through service and I think that is a great example of how it impacts my life. Now this discovery of the perpetrator only happened a few months ago, but what an intensely bright young man and I'm sure that we will be hearing a lot more from him in the future. He's only 21 years old. So I'm really happy that I was able to bring you a good apple story, although it came from very, very tragic circumstances. And if you'd like to leave Maurice a message on the Find a Grave website, you can find her at Maurice Chivarella, M-A-R-I-S-E-C-H-I-V-A-R-E-L-L-A. And now let's preview the next episode. It's called The Children's Blizzard. The blizzard ripped the roof off a schoolhouse. What happened? And to end this episode, I will leave you with this quote. If you shake your family tree, watch for the nuts to fall. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.